heaven. If you were here at the end of May, you might remember my friend Dwight Lindsay who came and preached Psalm 37. And um, I remember I listened to, I think, the second half of that message when I was in Jackson on Facebook Live. And then I listened to it again earlier today on the sermon audio app we have. And in the introduction, he actually said um, that if I had not preached Psalm 37 on Wednesday night yet, then I could come back later and fix what he said, or if I had preached it, then he was fixing what I said. And so, Dwight, if you're listening back on this sermon audio, I'm calling this one Fixing Psalm 37. <laughs> so, no, I'm just kidding. He actually, I thought, did a great job, and uh, it's, I enjoyed listening to it again today. Um, so, it is a long psalm, as you see there, um, and so we won't cover every single verse. We won't be able to dive into all the things, but I want to just hit the, the high points with you and um, again, every time I study one of these, every time I just read through one, um, the Lord's teaching me some things and encouraging me, and so I think that'll be the case for all of us tonight. Um, so let's, let's pray real quick, and then we will we'll study it. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. I thank you for each of these people that made the effort to, to be here and to um, just fellowship and to study your word and and just showing that uh, we're committed to each other, and we're committed to you, and um, I, I know that your word can be a blessing to us, and this time can be a blessing to us, and so um, for just a few moments, let us just maybe forget about some of the struggles of the day and the worries of the week, and let us just focus on what you would say to us through your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as I read this, the the kind of the main thing that jumps out to me is it's the righteous and the unrighteous, or the godly and the ungodly. And it's really a, a contrast between the two and how God cares for the righteous and will one day judge the unrighteous. And so as you kind of put that together, um, the, the main question I wrote here is, how do we as Christians deal with this world that's increasingly less Christian? and unchristian. I mean, I think many of us remember a time when the world, in our eyes, seemed to be more Christian, when it seems like the things of God have now been pushed way to the side, or they're trying to be kicked all the way out. And so how do we respond to a world that can be tough because of all the non-Christian actions going on in the world today? And so, of course, if you see there on the top of that psalm, it is a psalm of David, I was doing a little research on David about this, and, you know, I often tell you, like, hey, David was running, from his, running for his life. Y'all know that. You've read the Old Testament. Saul was chasing him. But I was trying to figure out how much he was running for his life. And the best I could tell, and if you find something more accurate, let me know, it seems like David was out there running for his life for like a decade or more. It was a long, it wasn't just like one or two days he was out running for his life from Saul. It seems like best I could tell, maybe 10 years or more, he's running for his life. And so this is a guy who can give us great insight into what it means to be struggling. Because I don't know how bad your week has been, but I hope nobody in here has had somebody chasing you trying to kill you. I hope that's not been the case. And so he is, he is qualified. Also in verse 25, it tells us something about him. Look at verse 25. It says, I have been young 
but what? But now I'm old. And so at this point, when David writes this, he's an older man. We don't know exactly how old. I think he lived to be about 70. And so, uh, again, we don't know how old he was, but he's experienced, right? He's a veteran. He's been through some things. He's the kind of guy that can give us good advice on living. And so uh, I was thinking about that. If, if we're going to listen to someone, give us words of encouragement to get through this world, he's a great guy to listen to. And these Psalms are great to listen to. And I've had people... I've had people give me advice I didn't want to listen to. Have you ever had that happen? I, I remember being a younger parent and having people give me parenting advice who had zero kids. <laughs> I'm like, what do you, don't, no, don't talk to me. <laughs> I'm not listening to you. Um, but I also have had people who have kids who gave me great parenting advice. That's the people I want to get my parenting advice from. People who've been through it. David has been through it. And so he can help us. Um, so let's, let's read a, just a few of these verses. Let's go, uh, let's read the first four and then we'll make some comments. He says, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. So I'm going to give you a few thoughts of things he tells us to do or not to do. And the first one is the first two words, fret not. Do not fret. Now, that's not something we say anymore, I don't think. I don't think we use that word fret very often. But we might say it, you know, do not worry, right? How many of us worry? Uh, We all probably worry at times. Um, That word itself, though, if you dive into it, it means do not get overheated. Do not get worked up. You ever done that? Or told, hey, don't get so worked up about this. Get worked up, get overheated, lose your cool. Um, this is not some light worry. This is a, something that really gets you mad or, or really gets you worried or, or anxious. And right off the bat, fret not thyself because of evildoers, because of people in this world who bring about iniquity, who work iniquity, who do things that are ungodly. I'll be honest with you all. As I was reading this first verse, and I think in the last couple of years, I've made some changes in my life that have really helped me. And one of those changes is to get rid of negative influences in my life. Like, I love social media. I'm on Facebook a lot or Twitter. I like to read my sports stuff on there and, and keep up with family and friends. Um, but I had never really used the block feature <laughs> until the last couple of years. Y- y'all like the block feature? Yeah, it works, doesn't it? Or unfriend, unfollow, whatever you got. And the longer, the more I've used that, the uh, more I enjoy it. <laughs> because as I read those things, I don't need more negativity in my life. And there were some people, none of you, of course, some people who would put something on Facebook, for example, and it would make me angry. And I, I got to thinking, like, why am I putting myself through this? So I just block it so I don't have to worry about it. And on the, on the flip side of that, I follow a lot of great people who put positive, encouraging Christian things on my social media. So usually for me, social media becomes an uplifting thing. Because of the people I follow. Not only that, I'll give you this one. And some of you might agree or disagree, but in the last year or so especially, or less, I've, I've started watching a little bit less news. Because the, I saw the news was making me like mad. Even if, I, if it, even if I watched the Good Channel, or the channel I agreed with, I would still get frustrated. And so I've started watching less news. And for me, it's been a positive change. I still watch some because I got to see what's going on. But 
my point of this is that removing things from my life, hey, I shouldn't even say this, but I got an invitation to go somewhere to do some ministry. And I had to decline it recently because it's a place that I know for me would bring up negativity. And so I just had to decline that opportunity. Um, and I prayed about it. But so what are things in your life that you might need to remove a little bit of to help yourself to not fret because of evildoers? So he says that not, not only does it say not fret, but look at the next part of verse 1. He says, also, don't be envious of them. And this might be, you know, I think when it was preached here last time, I think Dwight mentioned, like, don't be envious of their actions. Like, you see somebody, I think he used the illustration, if you see somebody out there speeding on the highway, and you're like, I'm going to speed up too, right, because they're speeding. And that, I think that's a good illustration, a good point. But I also think this means don't be envious of their wealth or their success. Um, it's kind of like, um, and again, it's talking about evildoers. So think if you had, imagine you have a neighbor, and imagine that neighbor, all of a sudden, they start doing construction, and they double the size of their house. You're like, man, what's going on over there? And then the next, when that's done, he brings in a brand new big boat. Then he gets a brand new truck. His wife gets a new vehicle. The kids get new cars. You're like, what's going on over there? And imagine he comes over and says, hey, business is going well. And he begins to tell you what happened, and long story short, he got involved you know, with some illegal business stuff and it's made him wealthy and you're like well I would never do what he did but I'd sure like to have some of that stuff he has right it's being envious of the wealth but you certainly we don't want to be a part of that that sin or that corruption that he was a part of and that's what I think he's saying here don't be don't fret because of the evildoers don't be envious because of their success and to me this is just a reminder listen that that truly I don't need what anybody else has to make me happy. Do I still want some of their stuff? Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> right? But I don't need what anybody has. What I need to make me happy is exactly what God wants me to have. Right? That might be a little. That might be a lot. But if you have exactly what God wants you to have and you're, you've learned to kind of embrace that, then you won't have to be envious all the time of what others have. Um, and, and I think Dwight brought this out in his message. We know that the wicked... This is their heaven, basically, right? Because their, their eternity is damnation. For us, this is the worst it's going to get in this life because our eternity is, is glory. It's heaven. And so that's a good reminder. Let's go to the, the next part. Um, in verses 3 through 5, um, instead of worry, instead of being envious, he says two things in verse 3, trust and do good. Trust and do good. We won't talk about trust because we've covered it so many times in the Psalms. We know what that means. But I do want to talk about the next part. That's do good. Um, how many of us, like me, will watch the news or watch social media or talk to someone and get frustrated about the world, things going on in the world, gas prices, for example? And like, you know, what good does it do me to fuss about that? Do I fuss about it? Every time I pump gas, I fuss about it. I promise every time. I'm looking for people to complain to. Like, and it's usually just Jesse. But, but instead of always focusing on the negative and fussing, complaining, I just like the simple truth here. Trust the Lord and do good. Look for ways that we can do positive, Christian, be a light to the world examples. Be a, be a light to your work environment, your home environment, your church environment. You don't want to be that person that, and none of you are, by the way, but you don't want to be that person that nobody wants to be around. Do y'all know those people? Are there people in your life that you avoid? They call you and you're like, I just can't listen to this today. 
decline. Y'all know that person? Or, again, I've seen this in church, not in our church, but other churches. There's that person like, I don't want to go talk to them because they're so negative, you know? You don't want to be that person. Focus on doing good, not just saying good things, but, again, doing good. The next part of verse 3 says, you'll dwell on the land and, and you'll be fed. And for this, I just wrote, we need to enjoy God's faithfulness. And of course, Israel actually enjoyed a physical land, and God hasn't promised us a physical land except for you know, heaven one day, but, but we can enjoy a spiritual land, the spiritual promises, um, the faithfulness of God. Um, and, and so for me, one way I can overcome envying the success of the, the wicked is to delight, as verse 4 says, in the things of the Lord, and to delight in the Lord, to recognize my blessings, to count my blessings. The more time I spend enjoying my blessings, the less time I'll spend wanting other people's blessings for myself. And so that, again, gets me back to verse 4, delight yourself in Him. I love this phrase. If you underline or take notes in your Bible, to me, verse 4 is a key one to mark. Um, to delight yourself in the Lord means to purposely, to purposely joy in Him. Not in what He gives me, but just in knowing the Lord. And I thought about the New Testament story of Paul and Silas in prison. You remember what they did in prison? Did they sit there and like complain and moan? And what did they do? They prayed and they sang. It sounds weird, right? You're in prison. Why are you in there singing? But they purposed in their heart in a difficult situation to delight in the Lord, not in the situation. And of course, as they begin to sing, God did a miracle, didn't he? Did a, did a great work there and set them free. But, but the point uh, I'm making here is that we need to learn to delight ourselves in, in the Lord. But how many people in this world look for happiness in everything but God? We do, don't we? The, the world does. The world's trying to always fill that hole, that void, with whatever it is that makes them happy. But I want you to remember this. Um, if you expect to get your happiness from God and you seek your happiness in God, then you will find happiness. Say that again. If you expect to find your happiness from God and you seek it in God, you're going to find it. And I don't mean fleeting worldly happiness. I mean true joy and delight. Verse 6 again says he will, verse 6 says he will reward them. Verse 7 Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. To rest in the Lord here means to roll something onto Him. You've heard, us, you've, heard, you've heard people say, like, cast your burdens on the Lord, roll it onto the Lord. That's what this means. Uh, trust in Him, delight in Him, and then roll or rest in Him. Wait on Him, the next part says. Again, a great lesson from an old man here, David, who's been through so much. And he says, wait on the Lord. God will vindicate. God will work things out, as we saw in Romans 8. We don't have to fix every single thing. We, we need to patiently trust and wait for God to, to work. Verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Again, he says, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. 
the meek shall inherit the earth. Who else said that? You know where that's found in the Bible? Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus quotes this in Matthew, the meek shall inherit the earth. Let's keep going. Verse 12. I'm going to read through a bunch of verses. Let's just listen to see what it says. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Heard that before, huh? That's a good, good verse. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. Verse 17, For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke they shall consume away. The wicked borroweth and payeth not gain, but the right, righteous showeth mercy and giveth. The righteous is a generous person, right? A generous giver, whereas the wicked is, is certainly not. Verse 22. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. So again, he just keeps saying this. The righteous, God laughs at him. God knows his end is destruction. The godly, God cares for. And that should be comfort to the godly. Verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. That's a great verse. The steps of a good man, steps of a righteous person, are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. I thought about this as I noted Note on verse 23 is that I need to teach my kids this more, this kind of stuff more. Like we teach our kids, right? Grow up, do your best in school, go to college, get a great job, you know, and that's all good and true. But I know people that went, had great grades, went to college, got a great job who are miserable in life because they don't know Christ. And so I know for me it was a reminder, hey, I need to teach my kids, we need to teach our grandkids, our church kids, hey, um, the Lord, it's the Lord who establishes your steps if you will delight yourself in him. If you'll trust him, he'll, he'll guide you. 24. This is talking about the righteous man. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. This is a good verse. The Lord lifts us when we fall. It reminded me of another New Testament story of a man who fell, and Jesus had to lift him. Can y'all think of one? The one I thought about was Peter, out there walking on the water, and he's doing good. He's, you know, I mean, it's got to be amazing walking on water. And then all of a sudden, he takes his eyes off Jesus, right? And he begins to see the storm, and the waves, and the wind, and what happens? He starts to sink. And as soon as he begins to sink, what's the first thing he says? Lord, save me. Lord, help me. His first inclination in the fall was to call out to Christ. And do you remember what happened? Like this, Jesus is there to take him by the hand and to save him. 
in verse 24 of Psalm 37 says, though he or though we fall, we will not be utterly cast down because it's him who holds our hand. I just wish I was like Peter in that every time I fell, I wish my first thought is always, Lord, save me, Lord, help me. But usually when I fall, my first thought is, how can I fix this situation? Or who, who's to blame for this situation? It'd be, a great, it'd be a great sign of Christian maturity if every time something went wrong, my first thought was prayer instead of worry, or prayer instead of fixing it. And I hope one day I can reach that point. I don't think I'm there yet. But again, I love this point. He holds us with his hand. It reminds me of the old song I used to sing with my papa. Um, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. You know that song? And um, thankful the Lord does that. All right, verse 25. Some of y'all can relate to this verse again. I said, y'all, not, not me. I have been young and now am old. Now I feel that verse too. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. There's a lot of debate on this verse. You can go look it up. And, and, but for me, in my experience, this has been true. Like, I've seen a lot in my 40 years. But I've also seen that God cares for his people. And I've seen Christian struggle. I've been in the struggle. But I've also seen God just provide, especially the basic needs of life. There's been times in my life where I would have nothing. And some random person would hand me a $100 bill. No lie. And I'm like... Wow, God did that. I mean, that's happened to me so many times. And it might, you know, it might not be money. It might just be something else. But, and I've seen it in other people's lives where God takes care of his people. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. And it's a great truth to hold to. Um, uh, I like that verse a lot. 26. He is ever merciful and lendeth and his seed is blessed. Here's some more challenge and command. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. How long does God preserve his people? What's it say there? Forever. Can we lose our salvation? No. Can someone take us out of God's hand? No. If we truly know Christ... Um, he will not forsake us, he will not leave us, and we're preserved forever. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous, and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Let's keep going. Verse 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord shall help him and deliver them 
And he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. I think I've said this before, but look at verse 39. I think I've said this in the Psalms. You see where the word salvation there? Um, that doesn't speak primarily to our you know, salvation in Christ. That word means to be delivered, which that also can relate to our salvation, but it just means to be delivered from something. It could be a relationship, it could be a, an addiction, it could be a sin, it could be whatever it is, to be delivered from something. And so that verse says, the deliverance of the righteous is of the Lord. He is the strength. He's the one who brings us and delivers us. He shall help us, verse 40. And again, it says it there, he shall deliver them. But if you look at verse 40, does it say God will deliver us because we go to church all the time? Does it say God will deliver us because we read our Bibles, which we should? Does it say God will deliver us because we're prayer warriors or because we give offering or because we're just good people? Why does it say God will save and deliver in verse 40? They what? They trust in him. That word trust literally means to shelter, to take shelter or to take refuge. You see, those who run, as I conclude, those who run to the things of the world for protection, um, don't, they don't know Christ. <laughs> or they're walking astray from Christ. We who know him, we know when things go bad, when there's wicked around us that seems to be prospering or seems to be trying to hurt us, maybe, we run to him. He's our shelter. He's our refuge. He's our fortress. He is the one we trust in. And if we trust him, Psalm 37 holds so many promises and comforts and commands uh, to help us make it through our day. And so how do we as Christians deal with this increasingly unchristian world, we take refuge in him. We trust him. We know, though we might seem to not have as many victories on this earth, one day we will have the ultimate victory. And that's something we hold on to. Let's pray.